Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the evening service. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking, but there is a place which someone has testified. What is a human being that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honour and put everything under his feet. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is subject to him. Yet at present we do not see everything subject to him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everyone exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I, and the children of God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every way, in order that he might become merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. All right. Good. Well, do keep your uh, Bibles open there. And uh, let's just pray as we come uh, to the Lord's Word. Lord, we thank you that you've given us these ancient words. We believe they're not just ancient words, but they are present, active words. And so we pray that through them you would speak to our hearts and open our minds to what you have to say to us, that our lives would be changed through it. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if you're a binge watcher. Is anyone here a binge watcher? Is anyone here confident enough to say that they're a binge watcher? Oh, look, yeah, good, good, good. We have a good level of acceptance uh, binge watching, if you're not totally familiar with it, it's, um, uh, it's, it's where you, know, you take your box set and you watch from the beginning to the end. Uh, um, uh, technically, it's, that's deliberate binge watching. That's when you have the multiple episode TV show available to catch up online. 
And instead of watching one episode at a time of a protracted period, you, you, just, you wait for them all uh, to stack up and then just watch them all in one sitting. Uh, I discovered this week it's a phenomenon that apparently makes you 60% more likely to have an aneurysm. There you go. Um, now, a uh, few shows uh, motivated me to this level of commitment, except one show that I really couldn't stop watching. And this makes me quite old. Uh, uh, this is an old show now. Here it is. Anyone remember this one? Yeah, oh, yeah, good. Okay, it's, it's alive and well in, in, in the culture of today. Prison Break. If you haven't watched it, carve out 48 hours of free time. Make sure you have a hydration strategy and plenty of sleep beforehand and planned afterwards and go for it. Watch it. Now, Prison Break, the idea is a simple one. One innocent man is held on death row and his brother deliberately gets himself locked up in the same prison in order to get him out from the inside. And to get him out, our hero needs to get himself in to become a prisoner, which... By the way, there's also a summary of the first uh, two episodes if you want to shorten your evening uh, just a little bit. Now, Prison Break is a great box set. It is also an amazing illustration of what God has done to us, for us, to save us in Jesus Christ. God the Son had to come into our world, and not just our world, he had to completely adopt our human condition, live our life, because only by coming into that... Could he then free us out of it? Jesus had to become like us to save us. And that's the theme we're going to be returning to again and again in these uh, chapters of Hebrews. Um, uh, Hopefully you got last week's. If you weren't here, do catch up online. Tom Thompson from the vineyard just down the road. A wonderfully Jesus-centered message uh, last week. uh, And and absolutely representing this Jesus-centered letter. For today, I'm, I'm hoping and praying we're going to arrive at a new appreciation of this, this question of Jesus' mission. Like, why did he actually come? What was he supposed to do? What's the rescue he's achieved? And we're going to break this uh, truth into two halves that broadly map onto the two halves of the passage that we're looking at here. It's quite a technical one. Hebrews gets a bit involved. But there's plenty of wonderfully accessible stuff here for us to understand, whatever level we're at. So first heading, Jesus became like us. Jesus became like us. In fact, Jesus became the human person that every one of us on some level is intended to be, but never have attained. I wonder if if you had to paint the picture of the ideal man or woman, how, how would you go about it? What do you imagine that person being like? Try to think quite quickly past the kind of uh, magazine covers. What, 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 is the, what would be the perfect person? Well, we're not the first people to have thought about that question. That idea was actually there in the ancient scriptures. And we have here a quote from Psalm 8 that tried to capture that. This is what it says in Psalm 8, quoted here. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we're speaking. Instead, Hebrew says, That privilege has been given to humankind. It has been testified somewhere. What is man, what is a human being, that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. Now, this, what's going on here? This is is like um, God's ideal for humanity. On the one hand, it says, uh, what is man? We're made from the dust. We're mortal. We're dwarfed, aren't we, by the whole of the rest of the creation? In that sense, you think we were quite insignificant. And yet, it says, you made him a little lower than the angels. Just, only just under the angels we are. 
We're not just advanced primates. We're comparable, the psalmist says, to spiritual beings of heaven. And what's more, if you follow the logic here, that's just temporary. Just for a little while, humankind is supposed to be just lower than the angels. But ultimately, you crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. So there's this idea, ancient idea, that you know, the perfect humanity, the perfect human person, uh, is, is a really, really lofty ideal. And uh, if you read Genesis 1, the picture of what we're supposed to be like, this is kind of what it's like. Genesis 1, rule over the earth. Get everything in, 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 subdued. Have dominion over it in a good and positive way. The problem is, uh, if you've been around this world for a little while, you'll know this is not what we see. All right? Uh, and that's what he goes on to say, Hebrews, in verse 8. He says, yet at present we do not see everything subject to mankind, to him. Uh, I don't need to remind you of this. You know, you open your BBC News app, you can see it right there. Uh, we do not live up to the image of angelic beings. Uh, we, we're making a good job at kind of being a little bit better in the material world, I guess, over the centuries. But whatever there is that's glorious or honorable about us as human beings is mostly drowned out by our fighting each other and our fighting with God and our fighting with our environment. We are not these glorious rulers that we were made to be. And given what we've become, uh, having everything subject to us is, is, is hardly really a great aspiration. You wouldn't want the whole world subject to humanity in quite the same way with its frightening capacity for ill. But the writer of the Hebrews is saying, hold on. That is still what God imagines and intends. But so far, it's been an empty category. So far, we've never seen the perfect human being as God intended them. Until now. Verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor, because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Do you see the point here? What we as people have never been, Jesus was. Through his victorious death, resurrection, ascension on behalf of all of us, he is now crowned with glory. Everything subject under his feet. We're short of the ideal, but Jesus is humanity as God intended us to be. I wonder whether, as a kid, you remember the um, challenge of tracing paper? You remember you lay your tracing paper over the thing that you're, you're trying to color in and you start following, you know, it's a, it's a tiger and you want to color in a tiger. So you get the picture of the tiger and you go around the outside of the tiger. And after sort of, you get halfway around and then the paper shifts and then you keep going around the tiger as it was and oh, and then it doesn't sort of match up at the end. That's what we're all like. We're meant to be the picture of God's image, but it goes off. Jesus was the first one who absolutely, the paper never moved. He is perfectly the picture of humanity that the Lord wants. He follows the creator's blueprint. And yet it says he still took on our human nature. That's where the passage goes next. Verse 9. We see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because, it says, he suffered death. So that by the grace of God he might taste death everyone. That means uh, Jesus knows decay. It means if we keep going, verse 11, uh, we have one 
and the same source. Literally, we are all of one. What an idea. Jesus, you and Jesus are chips off the, off the same block. Second half of verse 11, it talks about how Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. So if you know uh, the Father, if you know God the Father, you are one of his children right alongside Jesus. And Jesus is your brother. And in the heavenly uh, portrait, uh, it's not like the angels are like, uh, uh, you just, can you go and just stand at the back there? Because, the, you know, you're the slightly the black sheep. No, he says, right, you come and line up right next to Jesus. You're one of the children. Absolutely. Jesus draws you in and says, stand right with me, my sister, my brother. Whatever you think of yourself, no embarrassment to me. You are my brother, my sister. We're family. Uh, it means further that we share in the flesh and blood, verse 14, because uh, he himself likewise partook of these same things. He knew what it was to have a human body and a beating heart. Jesus knew what it was like to be tired after a long day's work, to be short of breath. He knew what it was to get a graze, a cut, just like you and me. It's an extraordinary thought, isn't it? It means, verse 17, that uh, he had to be made like us in every respect. Now, I think that's an amazing thought. I don't know about you, but when I start thinking about Jesus actually taking full humanity, it just blows my mind. But it is also a really unsettling thought. Uh, I guess we all remember a moment in our childhood, we were doing some activity, perhaps we were playing sport or playing music without our peers, uh, with our peers under instruction, and then some older person, some experienced person came up. I was thinking this week, back in my days, um, uh, as a kid playing rugby, uh, I think I was 10 years old uh, at this stage, we had, in my school, we had a gap year student, and I think he was called Mr. Jackson. And Mr. Jackson was from South, South Africa, and normally, Mr. Jackson would just give us some guidance, uh, you know, go on, just do this or that. Uh, but then often, at a particular point in the training session, uh, usually when we were all being particularly useless, uh, Mr. Jackson would pick up the ball and do it himself. And, and before long, you'd have like 20 kids, all 10 years old, trying to slow down Mr. Jackson, and he'd be just going straight through the middle. I still remember the day when he, we went to school in this kind of five-story Victorian pile country house, and Mr. Jackson said, do you reckon I can punt it over the house? And we're like, no. And he just took this thing and launched it. And it never stopped going up like a rocket. Whatever we thought about rugby before then, we had a completely new understanding of it right then. And it's a bit like that with Jesus. Whatever you thought was being a real human being, whatever you thought was really nailing it as a person, once you start to see the life of Jesus, it blows your mind. It's something completely different. To be the best you can be is to be like Christ. And that is so different. And that's his purpose, not just for us individually, his purpose for us as a whole community. And wow, wouldn't that be amazing if our whole community was shaped into the character of Christ? So, Jesus became like us. That's the first thing here. And then secondly, Jesus became like us to save us. He became like us to save us. And that's why Jesus became like us. Uh, verse 10, it says, In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Jesus became human. And of all the very human things to do, he suffered. And that, this verse says, is how he brings those who believe to glory. 
He became human and suffered. That's his work of salvation. Now, how does that work? Well, there's too much here to dwell on. So I just want to share three things with you that, 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 that hop out of these verses. Three ways that Jesus saves us. Number one, as the substitute. Substitute. Let me explain. Jesus is a substitute. Verse 9, it says, We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone, on behalf of everyone. So when Jesus uh, took on flesh, um, he stepped down from the stalls. Um, bear with me at the sporting illustration here, where he's just kind of observing. And he goes onto the subs bench. And then in suffering and dying on the cross, he actually comes onto the field and plays the point that we could never. Because he's faced death in our place, it means that we don't need to. Now, of course, we Christians, we, we still die. Physiologically speaking, our hearts stop beating. But because Jesus is our substitute, our spiritual life is beyond here. It, it keeps going. So that's substitute. Second, pioneer. Jesus is our pioneer. Verse 10, it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder, or perhaps more dynamically translated, pioneer or champion of their salvation, perfect through suffering. Jesus became like us to pioneer our salvation. He's the one who goes out ahead into uncharted territory. I don't know whether, anyone been on one of these before? Got any, got any icebreaker riders here? Okay, right, there we go. Uh, neither have I. But you get the idea with an icebreaker. Okay, regular ship uh, crossing the Antarctic in wintertime, it has no chance, yeah? At some point very early in the journey, uh, it would inevitably end up trapped in the ice. Uh, and soon thereafter, it would end up unable to go forward or to go back. Uh, and all the lives of its crew and, and the passengers would be endangered. I mean, that might be not so bad today with radio communication and so forth. If you go back sometime in, in, into, into the past, that was disaster. That was the end. Getting marooned on the ice was, was awful. So for a successful voyage across the Antarctic, you need an icebreaker. Icebreaker, it's, it's still another ship. Um, and that's part of what makes it work as a solution. It is a ship. It has to make the same journey on the water. But it's a different kind of ship. Uh, it's much more powerful. And it has this sort of strengthened hull. And so it goes ahead and it cuts the, 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 the ice out of the way. It loosens the path so the other ship can pass through. In fact, only because the icebreaker goes ahead is our ship able to complete the journey. Okay, so you get the picture with Jesus. Jesus is, is like that. He goes ahead of us in our journey. He had to be like us, live through human birth, growth, temptation, suffering, and death. But he also had to be kind of more than us. He had to break through, through the grave and out the other side, res be resurrected so that he could make the way for us to follow. And so as the icebreaker brings the ship to the other side of the ice, so Christ becomes our pioneer. And then the third picture um, that Hebrews gives us of why Jesus had to become like us is that he's a destroyer. He's a destroyer. Uh, now, uh, this image... Uh, Maybe a little bit confusing to begin with. Uh, what you are looking at there is a bee. Well, does anyone know what you're looking at there specifically? Can anyone spot it? 
This is a bee that has just stung, and actually its sting is falling out of the back, and so it's about to die. Okay? Let me explain why I put that there. Uh, Hebrews 2, verse 14 says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. Jesus destroys the devil. He renders him powerless. You'll be familiar with the difference between a wasp sting and a bee sting. Um, If not, here's a little bit of biology. Uh, They both sting when they get threatened, but the wasps can sting many times and they sort of go off and sting again, and that's why we all think they're super evil, whereas we love bees, which are kind of heroic. Um, The bee stings once, And then that's the end for the bee because the sting comes out the back and it's over. Now Hebrews describes the devil as the one who has the power of death, like a wasp with his sting. And he can dispense this power of death again and again and again. But Jesus took our nature, partook of the same things as us, to change that. And somehow he converted the wasp into a bee, right? When Jesus draws the, 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 the sting of death from the devil, he draws it out of him. He pulls the devil's innards out of it. So the devil cannot do it anymore. The day the devil took out his death power on Jesus was the day that he lost it. And in that sense, Jesus is the devil destroyer. So substitute, pioneer, destroyer. Right, well done. Hard work, lots of thinking, uh, but I hope there's something, something there. Now, what is this, where does this leave all of us? Well, let me ask you do, you, do you, do you know these things about Jesus? Did you know that long before you were born, God put this great plan into action, that God the Son was going to become like you, he was going to experience weakness and suffering and pain, so that he might save you. Now, if, you, if you've never heard that before, then take that to heart. But even if you have, see if you can just dwell on it for a moment. It is an amazing thing that the Lord has done for us. Take hold of it. Because this salvation is not automatic. It, it, for, that to, for that to work for us, it requires a response of faith and uh, perhaps for some, someone here this evening, it's a time to really make that your own for the first time. Say, yes, Lord, I actually now understand this, and I want this to be true for me. I want you to save me. It may be that you already kind of knew this, but you need to be reminded of this good news. You've been following Christ for some time, uh, so know it again, know it more deeply. Feel that solidarity with Christ, your flesh and blood, and see the devil, the great destroyer himself, destroyed only in the throes of his final demise. But Jesus became like us. Jesus became like us to save us. All right, I'm going to ask the uh, uh, band to come up and and join us. We've got a couple of songs that we're going to sing together that are going to lead us in a time of response. But just uh, as they get ready, I'd I'd like to just take a, a moment of quiet, perhaps keep the scriptures open in front of you. And I'd love you to just think through what you've just heard. Perhaps the Lord has uh, really spoken to you about the way in which he took on your very nature. 
perhaps you've thought for the first time or the first time in a long time, just how Christ was actually a human being like you. And it's a moment for you to just really appreciate and thank him for that. Perhaps today is a moment for you to consider again that Jesus showed the way to be truly human. Perhaps you feel like in your life he's got slightly gone off course a bit. And you want to come back to that picture of, of following the Lord and his, his ways. Or perhaps you felt, thirdly, overwhelmed by you know, all that's going on and your great needs. And that picture of him as the, as the substitute um, and the pioneer and the devil destroyer is what you need for your comfort. Let's just take a moment of quiet to think about that. So Jesus is not to call them, is not ashamed to call you and me brothers and sisters. Lord, how amazing to think that God the Son would call me, call each one of us a brother and a sister. Lord, we pray that you would enable us today to draw close to you again as our friend and our brother. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week. Thank you.